Today's scripture is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Can be found in the New Testament of your Pew Bible, page 211. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, God. to God. Thank you, Penny. Friday afternoon, I was out running a few errands and I decided to stop by Starbucks. This is something I do regularly. <laughs> I worked at various Starbucks while in college and seminary, and they are still my go-to coffee shop. And I would like to publicly thank Starbucks for putting a new location at the La Vista Town Center because <laughs> it is very close to my house, very convenient. It's so nice of them to think of me and their plans that way. So I was going through the drive-thru, ordering my decaf Americano and a blueberry scone, because it was Friday afternoon, and I thought a buttery treat would be just the thing. So in front of me there was a white SUV. I don't remember anything more about it than that. I was listening to the radio, only kind of half paying attention, doing this thing that I have done hundreds of times before, and I pulled up to the window and the barista opened it up and she held out my coffee with two hands and she said, the person in front of you paid for your order. Oh? Really? Yep, she said, and she handed me my scone. Oh? I was real articulate in the moment, you can tell. She said, have a good day, and I drove off still processing what had just happened. My first instinct was to go and try to chase down the previous driver and say, hey, you didn't need to do that. I have plenty of money to pay for my own coffee order. Thank you, it's, it's so kind of you to offer that little gift, but, but how about you go give that money to somebody who really needs it? Like somebody for whom $6 could change their week. But I had no idea where that person went. And that would have been a kind of ungracious thing to say to them anyway. Then I thought, was it one of you? <laughs> Did the driver recognize me in the rearview mirror? Maybe, but I don't think so. I wouldn't have a clue who to guess anyway. I was mulling all this over as I drove home, and, and can I be honest with you? It, it all kind of, it irritated me just a little bit. Not like in a, oh, I'm so annoyed kind of way, but, but more like it just really made me think. What is the point of buying some stranger's coffee in the line at Starbucks? Should I have in turn paid for the person behind me? I know that happens sometimes that a whole chain gets going like that of strangers buying coffee for strangers. I, I didn't have the presence of mind to do that. So what should I do in response? Just enjoy my coffee? Some of you are saying, yes, Amy, please, just enjoy the coffee. <laughs> Stop overthinking this. Right, but guys, I'm a preacher. This is what I do. So what should I do in response? 
If I want to take that goodness that was offered to me on Friday afternoon and give it to someone else, if I want to pass on that feeling of an unexpected blessing, what should I do? I'm still mulling that over two days later. I don't, I don't really want to go buy somebody's coffee. I mean, that was really kind of somebody, but it just doesn't quite fit my style. So, so instead, I'm just asking God to show me, give me a chance to help somebody out kind of immediately, somebody in need, send somebody my way that I can pass on the blessing that someone gave to me with my free coffee. I did enjoy the coffee and scone very much, fear not. But looking back on it, I feel like that that person in line at Starbucks, they gave me a little poke. They gave me a little challenge. They made me think, how, how is it that I want to do good in the world? How can I go and, and do good even randomly to strangers. That person chose the Starbucks drive-through. What do I want to choose? How do I want to do that same thing? It was a moment for me, as the writer of Hebrews suggests that we have, of being provoked to love and good works. Now we're here in this final week of our sermon series on community, considering how we are better together considering why we do faith together, why the Christian faith is not a solo affair. We are, in summary, better together as a community. And that's, it's true in a whole, whole, whole lot of ways, but we've just examined three here together. First of all, remember we talked about how we help one another learn and grow. We talk about our faith. We study together. We worship together. And, and the proverb says, iron sharpens to iron, and we all grow together. We also draw strength in remembering how together we are the body of Christ. And so if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member rejoices, all rejoice together with it. We share our sorrows and our triumphs and our life is richer and deeper and more survivable because we're doing it together. And then finally, here from the writer of Hebrews, we hear about what it means for us to come together in worship, not just for this hour inside church, but because then being together changes what we can do outside the walls of the church, how we can help others. The book that we call Hebrews is a letter. It says it's a letter, but it's not quite like the other letters that we have in the New Testament, like Philippians or 1 Corinthians. It wasn't written to address some specific problems in a particular congregation. Instead, it was written with this kind of general since meant to be passed around a bunch of among a bunch of churches closer to a sermon actually than a letter delivering this message that the writer thought christian people in his area needed he he wanted to strengthen their faith he wanted to help them live out their christian life and here in chapter 10 he reminds them and us that we approach this whole business of faith we come to worship we do it with a confidence and we do it with an assurance that God is waiting for us and ready to embrace us. He says we know that we uh, can walk this path of faith because it's the same path that Jesus walked. Jesus opened the way to God and assured that when we approach God, even though we have so many failings, God is going to make us clean and whole and new. We worship with confidence that God will restore us, that God will be faithful to God's promises, and God will redeem us. That's just bedrock to our faith. But he reminds us that redemption, that wholeness, that newness, that's not just for us. The Bible points us 
toward the fact that once we're made new, once we're restored, we're meant to be agents of God's love in the world, to share God's goodness and God's hope and God's mercy. And we don't just do that solo as independent agents out there in the world, we do it together. We go out into the world together doing love and good deeds. And he uses this, this kind of surprising word, he says provoke, that we provoke one another to those acts of mercy and goodness. We provoke one another. I think we can think of this in two ways, provoking. We can either think about it like challenging one another, or we can think about it like cheerleading for one another. Either way, we do it together. Inspired by the works of others, tackling things together, knowing this business of making God's love real in the world, it's a team sport. We provoke one another to love and good deeds. Like I said, this can look like cheerleading or like working together or like encouraging one another, especially when our energy to do good in the world lags. Now, you all know I like cycling, right? Bicycles. I like them a lot. And I want to say that this is like a peak Amy Lippolt sermon because I have now mentioned both coffee and bicycles in one sermon, so <laughs> it's about as good as it gets for me. But a few weeks ago, I was watching a short film about a cycling adventure, and I saw, I saw the coolest thing. It was a moment that reminded me about what church can be when we tackle a project together, what it means to be better together. This is a film called Thereabouts Reprise, and I'm not going to bore you with the details, so just a short summary. It's about a trip taken by four professional cyclists in 2014. They rode from Boulder, Colorado to Moab, Utah in four days. It's like 366 miles. And it's a really fun film, especially if you like adventure and you like watching talented athletes do kind of crazy things. At one point on day three of this four-day trip, for no really good reason, the guys turned off of the paved road onto this dirt track, this trail. They didn't really know what it was gonna be like, but they just decided to go this alternate way. And the trail got narrower and narrower and harder and steeper and rockier. And eventually it just wasted them all with this difficult effort. And one guy especially bore the brunt of it because he flatted his front tire. And he flatted it so bad that he couldn't fix it. <laughs> they kept slogging and eventually they made it off the trail and they stopped in this little town called Delta, Colorado for a break and for some food. Now they had 40 miles left to ride before they were gonna be done for the day. And knowing that, and that this guy had a tire he couldn't fix, the three with bikes that were working tried to convince the guy with the unrepairable tire to quit. Just quit the ride. Like, just get in the car, it's fine but he didn't want to do it. Even though he could not fix his flat tire, he didn't want to do it. He wanted to finish the day, and he wanted to finish it so badly, he was willing to ride his bike on the front rim without any air in his tire at all. That is a ridiculous way to try to ride a bike, okay? I'm not gonna suggest it to anybody, even if you're a pro rider. So they started off on this last 40 miles, and what they tried first was to put the guy with the busted bike in the back so he could draft off of the other riders and make it easier. But that didn't help very much. They were creeping along at like 15 or 16 miles an hour, which is like my normal speed, right? But for these pros, super slow. 
So after a frustrating hour of this, they were all just so frustrated, they decided to change tactics, and they put the guy with the busted tire in front. And one guy rode up next to him, just a little bit behind him, and he put his hand on the guy's back, and he started to push as he rode along. Now, this isn't a completely unusual thing to do in cycling. You can do it. You can push somebody along to give them a nice little help up a hill or something like that. But here's the important part of what they did. A third rider came up behind that second rider, just a little bit behind, but next to him. And he put his hand on the second guy's back, and he started to push. And the fourth guy, what do you think he did? He went behind next to the third guy and put his hand on that guy's back, and started to push. Here's what it looked like. It worked. With three people pushing as they rode, they were able to get closer to like 28 miles an hour as a group, which is a more normal speed for these guys. When their arms got tired, they just shifted sides so they could push with their other arms. Y'all, they rode this way for 30 miles literally pushing each other toward the goal, arriving there so much faster than they could have if they had been riding alone. It was just one of the coolest bike formations that I have ever seen, an awesome moment in the film. Provoking one another to love and good deeds can look like this, like a push, like a help, like a lift. It can also look like a challenge or like a dare or like setting out an expectation and seeing if our friends can rise to meet it. Around this time four years ago, 2017, our annual conference, the Great Plains, experienced a moment of collective challenge just like this. Our bishop, Ruben Sines, he recorded a video with our conference disaster coordinator asking churches to assemble flood buckets to help because of all the devastation that was happening at that moment because of Hurricane Harvey in Texas and Louisiana. And on that video, he challenged churches in Kansas and Nebraska to pull together 5,000 flood buckets in less than 14 days. Now, a flood bucket is a, is a five-gallon bucket with a specific list of items inside that people need when they clean up from flooding. It's got things like trash bags and gloves and insect repellent and sponges and dish soap. All told, there are like 17 different items, and it usually costs about $65 to put together a flood bucket. And you cannot substitute items. They have to be specific, and they have to be exact, and they have to all be in there for it to be complete. So after Hurricane Harvey, the need, you remember, was so great, and the bishop challenged us with a goal that he later admitted he just kind of pulled out of the air. <laughs> he had no idea if we could actually do 5,000 buckets in that short amount of time, but he wanted a big number, and so he threw the challenge out there. Do you know what happened? Maybe you guys participated. I don't know. Do you, can you guess? United Methodists all across Kansas and Nebraska got really busy, and they got really creative. At the time, of course, I was in Baser, Kansas, and what we did is we made tags for a Christmas tree, kind of like an angel tree, with all the supplies we needed, and people grabbed them all up on one Sunday and went shopping and hustled to get the supplies back to the church. The one thing people couldn't find was handy wipes, so I went to every Walmart and Dollar General in the Kansas City area to find the ones that we needed. 
We were missing some gloves, and then all of a sudden this guy Wes walked into the church one day with 25 pairs of full leather gloves that had been donated from KC Power and Light Company. Kara and Sarah came and helped assemble the buckets that we had lined up in the narthex of the church, loaded them all up in my Subaru, and uh, you can fit 35 five-gallon buckets in the back of a Subaru, it turns out. It's full, but you can do it. And I took them to the conference office in Topeka where they joined this huge stack of buckets that were coming in from all over the state. I have a picture of what that looked like. By the time the deadline came and the semi-truck pulled up to the conference office to load them up and take the buckets south, there were 5,200 flood buckets that had been assembled and delivered. Additionally, $65,000 had been collected for the United Methodist Committee on Relief. It turns out our buckets ended up going to Florida because Hurricane Irma was bearing down on them and their immediate need was greater. But these flood buckets made a real difference in the lives of people experiencing tragedy because congregations encouraged each other with all these creative ideas and momentum and the bishop gave us this big challenge to quickly do good in the world. Let us provoke one another to love and good deeds. We accomplish so much more together for the good of the world than we ever could alone. I know that you all watch the news like I do. You know the needs of the world are so great. The suffering people endure is so large. And our ability to make an impact is so much greater together. I just don't see how we would ever want to try and do this kind of thing alone. St. Paul's, I know that you do a lot of good in the world. You do a lot of good in this community. You do. We're going to see pictures from the Brush Up Nebraska Day a few weeks ago. We're going to see those during the offertory. Some of you gave your Saturday to help paint somebody's house. Tonight, just tonight, the youth group is going to gather and wrap up diapers for the diaper pantry, a way that you continue to do so much good here in Sarpy County. You are consistent with your giving to mission projects. You're generous when we take an offering for those in need, but congregation, you are not tapped out. I know you're not, not even close. There is so much more good that we can do in the world, that we can do in the name of God. So much more that we can do together in terms of love and good deeds in the name of this good and loving God that has saved us. So let's provoke one another to share the goodness we know. One of the things that provokes me every time I read it is a very old poem by a woman named St. Teresa of Avila. She takes us back to this image of the body of Christ that we considered last week from 1 Corinthians. And she reminds us that Christ does not have a body on earth here anymore, except for ours. She says, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do his good. Yours are the hands with, it, with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. May it be so. Amen.
I'm going to invite you or provoke you to a moment of good deeds by sharing of your abundance here in our moment of offering. We are going to see, like I said, some pictures from Brush Up Nebraska on the screen. I encourage you, if you're online, you can give electronically or here in the sanctuary. You can go to that link and find the electronic giving page, or there's also the offering box that you can come and place your offerings in. May God bless us as we give. Please pray with me. We offer our gifts and ourselves to you, O God, who calls us and all creation to wholeness and completeness. May our offering and our lives be part of your great plan. Amen.
forward we do go from this place out to do good in the world together. May God continue to provoke you and me and all of us together to love and good, good deeds, showing this goodness and mercy of God in all ways that we can. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.